Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Hello, everyone. Um, let me welcome back um, Raymond Torres, uh, Funkas Europe Director. I guess you're ready for a new year with our Future is Blue uh, series of podcasts. Hello, Raymond. Hello, Carlos, and Happy New Year to, to all. Happy New Year. Uh, Raymond, um, let's get started. I thought we thought it was a good idea to start the year with um, a bit of an overview of what to expect in Europe for the next few months. Uh, but before we, we dive into Europe, I, w I wanted to start with a more global question for you. And because we, we recently saw the head of the IMF, uh, Kristalina Georgieva, who said she was expecting a third of the world to suffer a recession in 2023. So do you share this uh, pessimist forecast? Well, it is true that uh, the uh, world economy is having to face, to confront uh, a, a very significant slowdown, in, if not a recession, of the three main economies. The US, uh, which is, of course, having to deal with a very significant increase in interest rates and, and tighter uh, fiscal policy compared to uh, a couple of years ago, and therefore is facing headwinds as a result of that. China uh, had a zero COVID policy. Now it's opening up, but uh, this is not uh, a, a simple process and still undergoing very uncertain uh, prospects with very significant slowdown in growth in any case, uh, which is a quasi-recession recession in, in, in European terms. And the Eurozone itself is the region which is most affected by the energy crisis that we have seen. So all these three, which are the three lo locomotives of the world economy together, uh, can only be re really felt throughout the, the, the entire planet. Uh, and therefore, it's not surprising the, what Kristalina Georgieva is saying. Uh, that said, I think that there, is, there is a ray of hope here, a very significant ray of, of hope, which is the development in the energy markets. And all this started really with the um, increase in energy prices, the, especially gas prices, and, and this has, the prospect has, has changed quite significantly. So even though in the short term, probably the IMF is right, there is still a ray of hope which is appearing uh, in the horizon. What is, if we, if we look specifically to the EU and the Eurozone, what is your specific economic forecast for, for this year that we just talked? I think that the uh, uh, very significant slowdown, if not a recession, is, is difficult to avoid because the loss of purchasing power by households has been very significant. In uh, 2022, especially the, the first three quarters of 2022, uh, consumers could use um, excess savings accumulated during the pandemic in order to sustain consumption, which, you know, as you know, consumption represents something like 60% of GDP. Uh, well, they could sustain consumption through excess savings, but now for the majority of households, excess savings have now disappeared and therefore they now have to confront 
inflation and the impact of inflation on, on uh, the erosion of purchasing power of households. And therefore, it's clear that uh, private consumption will, will take a hit as a result of this and at least a technical recession, in other words, two consecutive quarters in negative t territory, are very, very likely in the Eurozone. That said, uh, given the development in the energy market I was saying before, it's likely that the first signs of disinflation or at least de-escalation of inflation that we have seen recently will uh, intensify as, as from the spring. And as a result of that, the loss of purchasing power will, will become much smaller and therefore little by little the conditions for recovery later down the road uh, during the second half of the year should be there. So you mentioned inflation and in fact we, we finished the year with some news that they were positive on that side and the, the infl inflation levels in the euro area was 9.2 in December. So this, this represents a decrease compared to November, which was 10.1. And in fact, this is the second month where we see inflation going down. So you, do you, are you optimistic in the, in the sense that you, you expect this trend, lowering trend to continue for the next few months? I think this trend will continue for the next uh, few months because of, uh, at least when you look at the futures markets, in particular gas markets, you know, uh, they indicate a stabilization of energy prices, if not a reduction in energy prices. And so, in principle, the uh, original source of the inflationary process in Europe, which was energy, is now uh, kind of uh, moderating quite significantly. However, uh, the problem is that uh, this in, you know, energy-driven inflation has spread throughout the productive system and now it has gone into uh, the rest of the, you know, the, the price system. And therefore we see core inflation, which is reaching relatively high levels, well above 5%. And therefore, uh, when core inflation is at that level, uh, we know from the past that this, it will take time for this to moderate. Therefore, I would predict that overall inflation may go down, but it will overall remain persistent throughout the entire year. And we will not see uh, inflation at 2%, which is the target of the ECB, uh, at least until uh, end of 2024, if not 2025. So you're not, I think from what you're saying, I understand that you don't see a radical change in direction from the European Central Bank with these figures that we're seeing at the moment. Well, the European Central Bank is in a difficult, difficult situation because on the one hand, uh, it started very late to adjust its monetary policy and uh, therefore it lost credibility in a way because uh, you know it was really way behind the curve in other words it reacted very late and also its discourse was that inflation was purely transitory and so it has to have a discourse which is very strict and very vigilant in order to regain credibility and not only the discourse but the action itself probably will have to tighten a little bit more that would be needed in order to bring inflation down to 2% in a reasonable time period. One has to take into account the fact that uh, a monetary policy cannot do much, of course, about energy prices. And in concerning core inflation, it can only reduce drastically and very quickly core inflation if it really creates a recession. So the ECB is put in a difficult dilemma of, at the, at the same time, regaining credibility and having to regain credibility and therefore acting uh, radically and drastically by adjusting interest rate, but not doing too much because otherwise it will deteriorate 
the uh, not only the growth outlook but also uh, open up uh, the uh, uh, financial risks in the sense that uh, financial markets may react uh, negatively to uh, an excessive tightening of, of monetary policy. And keeping that balance right will be a very difficult challenge for the entire year in the ECB. Raymond, you mentioned before the energy crisis, and I think we all were so concerned about this winter. This was going to be one of the most complicated winters we had in the in the last few years in Europe due to the the, the Russia invasion of Ukraine and the implications for the energy market in Europe. Uh, the winter just started, and and um, I don't think it's being a, as bad as we thought it was going to be in terms of the impact in the in the in the, in the bills or in the shortages that we were fearing so much. Um, do you do you share the idea that this is not being so bad, and and maybe you could maybe elaborate on why it's not being so bad? Is it because the the, the measures that were taken? By the member states, or do you see any other any other reasons? Yes, I, I believe indeed. I agree that the uh, in a way the developments have not been have not been as bad as, as was feared at some point. Uh, and in particular, there was a fear that there would be uh, major shortages throughout Europe, uh, which would it's, uh, by themselves they, this this would drive a, a, a major and, and pronounced recession. This is not happening. Uh, one of the reasons is that, uh, probably one of the reasons is that uh, gas reserves have been filled entirely and therefore this is helping cushion the, 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 you know, and regulating the market in a way by using strategically the reserves. The second reason is that the, um, uh, the, the, the winter is much milder than, than was feared as well and therefore uh, the, the demand for energy is, is reduced as a result. In addition to that, uh, households and enterprises themselves are saving on energy, given the expensive uh, bills that they are having to pay. They are doing everything possible. They are taking measures by themselves in order to save on energy, to uh, reduce demand, and this is helping uh, attenuate the impact of the crisis. And in addition to that, there has been a diversification of supply sources uh, in different European countries. For example, in the case of Spain, quite clearly, uh, it's a big advantage to have liquefied natural gas and therefore having the possibility to, to import from the US or Qatar or other places liquefied natural gas. In other countries, uh, they are putting in place new liquefied natural gas uh, facilities as well. And in general, there is more investment in renewable and other sources of energy. And this is helping as well. Uh, and so both from the demand side with less demand, but also from the supply side, there has been a reaction which is helping. And on top of all this, there has been also a, a, a very important element, which is a confidence element. What happened after the Ukraine war is that we had to face a double crisis. One was, of course, the energy crisis. The other was a psychological crisis. In other words, very uncertain prospects with, at some point, even the risk of a, a major global uh, war and possibly even a nuclear war. And this uh, major uncertainty shock, if you wish, uh, has, has diminished. I mean, there is this still, uh, the uh, outlook is still very uncertain, but perhaps the worst scenarios 
have been put aside. The probability of a worst scenario happening is, is smaller now, much smaller than was the case a few months ago. And this is also helping the economy on the economic side from the point of view of activity, investment, and so on. And therefore, the, this is one of the reasons why the outlook is not as bad as was feared just uh, a few months ago. Um, Raymond, before we close, I wanted to, to ask you about some uh, so many people see this as a positive development for the world economy and for the Chinese economy and we, we've seen a change in direction when it comes to the zero COVID policy that was so problematic for global supply chains over the last few months so what do you think is going to be the impact as, as of course this is not going to happen overnight that the benefits are going to be so evident but but the direction the new direction is clear from China so what what's, what's the impact you see this going to have in, in, in the for the world economy and for Europe Overall, the end of the zero-COVID policy is, is a positive development because, of course, it reduces the risk of new uh, shortages, supply shortages and uh, disruptions of supply chains which have plagued uh, the, the world economy, and in particular the European economy, uh, since at least 2021. Uh, so this is a good uh, development in general, but I would say that the uh, final impact will depend not only on the decision to end the zero-COVID policy, but, but also on the measures that go with it. I think it's very important trans to, to ensure transparency so that uh, I mean there is sufficient information concerning uh, the extent to which the pandemic is, is evolving, new forms of virus happening and so on. Uh, uh, transparency is important in order to not only to reassure the Chinese themselves, but also from the point of view of other countries to ensure that we understand has, how the virus is developing and uh, in a way preventing ourselves from uh, uh, new, new health problems as a result. So I would say that's, an, that's another condition, that's one of the conditions. The other condition has to do with the management of the economy itself. Uh, because uh, the, uh, with the end of the zero-COVID policy, uh, what uh, I mean, the China will have to face, you know, the the, the, the need to at the same time uh, manage uh, this increase in demand, which is to be expected. It's going to be in China a bit like happened uh, 18 months ago in Europe, when we ended the confinement measures and so on, and people started to move and therefore to consume more. Uh, and this uh, should happen in an orderly way in order to avoid a new wave of inflation uh, uh, ha from happening, uh, which would be, of course, uh, would have a, a, a global repercussion given the weight of China in the in the world economy. Absolutely. Thank you, Raymond. I think we, we touched on a, a number of issues that are, are I'm, I'm certain they're going to dominate the agenda over the next few months and we'll have the opportunity to to, to talk more about these topics. Indeed. So, uh, <laughs> thank you and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks to you, Carlos, and have a good day. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well.